I'm your host, Matt Hastings, and thanks for joining today for another episode. I'm excited to have a conversation with my sales manager, Jared Fleischer. Jared Fleischer runs the Compass Plano Real Estate Office, home of a number of top agents, and he's a longtime resident of North Texas. So we're gonna have a great conversation of all things North Texas and real estate. So you've been here a few decades in Dallas mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. What are some of the most notable things you've noticed that have changed about either the landscape or the people or the culture during that time? You know, I'll say it's, you know, I worked when I first got into the real estate industry as just a, as, as an agent, mm-hmm. um, I, did, I worked in the downtown and uptown market. And this was in like 2006, we'll call it. And okay. there wasn't a whole lot of residential lifestyle in those areas yet. They were the places that like living lifestyle, they were mm-hmm. the places that people came, you know, from the city, you know, maybe, you know, some parts of suburban Dallas or, or Richardson or Plano or, or wherever it was to go and have nightlife. You know, that was like, you know, the financial, the uh-huh. financial district yeah. of Dallas, but there was very little like residential living in the city itself. You had a couple of you know, old converted buildings that had maybe become lofts, um, some condos here and there, but not a lot. So over the course of time, that changed dramatically. Oh, yeah. Just where Dallas, the, the metropolitan part of Dallas became a bustling residential mm-hmm. kind of hotspot. You know, you started to see high rises getting built, um, old other old buildings getting converted, a lot of re- rehabilitation and renovation of some old buildings that hadn't yeah had much happen to him, like the Statler Hotel comes to mind. Yeah. Um, that sat vacant and decrepit for decades. You know, at one point when that was opened, I think in the 60s, it was the largest hotel in the Southwest, sat there vacant for, <laughs> for decades. You know, they come in and revitalize it and bring, you know, kind mm-hmm. of some of that, you know, the cool part about that is they kept it So when it you were very, a kid, it was like a haunted hotel. It was, well, it was scary. I mean, it was it, like <laughs> being downtown, being in that area was just, you know, it like, you know, during the day, it's, you know, bustling, if you want to call it, because mm-hmm. people are working. But at night, it was like a ghost town because nobody lived there. It was just yeah. commercial usage. But now you go down there and I mean, it's it's thriving every night of the week. You know, mm-hmm. you have so many more people and not just young people are moving down there, too. There's so many working professionals that are moving yeah. down there and there's mm-hmm. families that are moving down there as I well. I thought the family part was peculiar, yeah. but my perception of where, where I would live with a family is probably different than somebody, especially people who want an urban lifestyle. That's right. That's but right. I showed a condo down there this summer that was a pretty high-end condo mm-hmm. and I just didn't expect to see it. Yeah. In downtown Dallas. So that, I mean, that's one thing you see. Yeah. You've seen yeah. the landscape change some, you know, we've built some big buildings down there. So the landscape has definitely changed. Um, a big thing that's changed here is just the uh, demographic of people that live here. You know, people who lived in Texas mm-hmm. were from Texas. <laughs> you know, it's it's very rare almost now for me to meet somebody who is like a native Texan or native Dallasite like me. I yeah. mean, everybody I meet has come from somewhere else. I bet in your neighborhood too is like oh yeah, half or more. Oh yeah, transplants. The transplants. That the right yeah, that's yeah. probably the better word to use. Yeah. Transplants. But yeah, there's so many. There's such a diversity of you know of, of our population of where people have come from now where. When I was younger, it was the people that were born and stayed here. Yeah, you know. So I think that's been that's brought a lot of culture mm-hmm. to the city because it's brought a lot of different perspectives and opportunities to kind of service you know a different a different population, different ages, different yeah. ethnicities, different all sorts of things. So that's I think been a huge change here is like the the um, maturity of the population yeah. growth. Well, I think heading up north too. Mm-hmm. When you were younger as a kid, like. I'm sure Frisco existed, but I don't think it was 
anything imaginable to what it looks like now. I mean, I'll say as a as a young adult, as in like an adolescent and young yeah. adult, Frisco didn't exist. Yeah. I mean, Frisco was a four letter word that nobody had heard of uh-huh. or an F word that nobody yeah. had heard of, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I remember my parents were small business owners and they opened up a retail shipping and mailing center in Frisco in uh-huh. 1995, I think. I was in high school, so wow. we'll call it 94, yeah. 95. And I worked for my parents in high school. I, I you know, helped again retail shop. You go in there, yeah. mail packages, yeah. buy stamps, like the UPS store, like the UPS today. store, exactly. Before yeah. you know, before those were, you know, the a thing. thing. Yeah. They were all you know, small small business owners, mm-hmm. you know, who owned and operated them. And I remember they opened this place in Frisco, and I was like, where do I have to drive? to go out there. It was a Saturday. Yeah. And you know, my dad's like, well, you just keep going down 75 until you get to this exit. And I go, I've never even heard of that. <laughs> and it was El Dorado. And I honestly didn't even oh, know wow. yeah. El Dorado was an exit off of the highway. Yeah. And so I get out there and the only thing there was there was El Dorado Estates, which was an established neighborhood mm-hmm. that was built like in the nineties and, and the, on, on the golf course. And there was an Albertsons and, and like, that was it. And yeah. they, but they were starting, you were starting to, I saw, you know, a bunch of wooden frames up. You were starting to see some mm-hmm. houses getting, getting built, but it was farmland. It was, it was FM roads. I mean, yeah. it was FM roads. There Farm was no, to market. that's exactly <laughs> what it so was. Crazy and to so think about now. It's crazy now, you know, now yeah. you can't even keep up with, with what the pop, with, with what the, um, the growth is happening out there. Yeah. But it was a dramatic. I mean, the North growth and expansion yeah. has been dramatic. I mean, I think it's going to continue. Absolutely, the growth north. I one hundred percent until I mean, you get to Texoma. Until you get to Oklahoma. Until you <laughs> get to Oklahoma. I mean, each time I hear about a new city, that's you know, <laughs> you know, first it was you know, it was, you're like, where's that? <laughs> it was McKinney and the Prosperous Alliance. Yeah. You know, then it's you know Anna, Anna Melissa. and then it's yeah. Melissa, and then it's you know Gunter, yeah. and you're like, what uh, you know, uh, what was the what's the? There's another one I can't remember, but they're starting to get to the ones that pretty soon it's going to be in Sherman, you know, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you're talking about 75. Yeah. 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 It really is crazy to think about. I had right. clients who, who bought a home in the colony, but their parent, they were young and their parents were kind of involved in the search and they had lived in, um, what's the place that's with the gates that in Frisco, not Stonebriar, uh, all the Cowboys players live there. Oh, Starwood. Uh, Starwood. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they said they had lived there early on when it was just like a sleepy little community and mm-hmm. you had to drive to Plano to go out to dinner. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at them like, what are you talking about? That was what? Plano. Plano was kind of the end. It was like uh-huh. the, the end know, of the road. It was the, that was it. You know, the, 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 the North Dallas tollway stopped at Frankfurt, you know, it, <laughs> okay. it dead ended at yeah. Frankfurt. And then in order to get to same like Marsh, you had to cut through a couple of like residential streets just uh-huh. to get over to something like Midway or Marsh. Like it stopped. Oh wow! Yeah, it was crazy. I had a, I had some friends who had an apartment over there. Funny enough, when we were in high school. They um, had an apartment our senior year, <laughs> and it was over <laughs> off of like Kelly and Frankfurt. And the only way you we'd take you take tollway, and uh-huh. it stops at Frankfurt. You get off, and you'd have to take a couple of little weaves to get to essentially, you know, we'll call it, you know, marsh or so. Right. But there was no easy way to get over there. And then it was literally oh, past that when the yeah. tollway stopped was just a barrier in in fields. That was it. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. And so now it's just yeah, communities. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, you can't, almost can't keep up with it unless so you're, unless you're too. in that, if you, unless you're in that environment every day, it's, it's almost yeah. hard to keep up with. Yeah. It's cool to think about the growth and exciting too. Mm-hmm. 
Um, well, and the great I mean, thing, I'm bullish on North Texas. I am not too. everywhere, but not, not right. I mean, not everywhere in the U.S., but definitely North Texas. I'm bullish. Well, on. and that's the great thing about, you know, here from a real estate market perspective is, you know, I believe North Texas is about 12,000 square miles. Like what we consider are, yeah. you know, from downtown to, you know, all, all the way getting almost yeah. to Oklahoma and, you know, to Fort Worth and, and almost, yeah. to, you know, not Tyler, but um, it's enormous. And there's still yeah. so much untapped potential there. Yeah. So, you know, as, as it continues to bring more people here, there's more opportunities for development. Yeah. It's fun to see. I mm -hmm. think it'll continue. Yeah. I'm excited. But it does change. Like you said, it changes the familiarity as the growth happens. It does. It's hard to keep up with it. Yeah. If you're thinking about somebody who maybe wanted to move to Texas, mm -hmm. what would you say are like the defining features that stand out to you? Well, I think that, you know, having not lived you know, continuously anywhere else. I mean, I, you know, I went to college in Missouri yeah. and uh, my family's from, from the Colorado, from Denver area. And oh, so I've, I've spent a fair amount of time there, yeah. you know, going up there to visit because I have a bunch of family, yeah, you know, great state. a lot of them have, you know, starting to pass away or, you know, but as a kid, I had a ton of extended family yeah. there, you know, so I don't have a, a ton of insight into what it's like in other places, but, you know, I felt like, I feel like the population of this city, you know, just the people have always by and large been a kind, it's been a kind mm -hmm. hospitality, you know, we're a Southern state. So, you know, you hear about the Southern hospitality yeah. and so forth. Um, it's real. It's real. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it doesn't mean everybody here is amazing, you yeah. know, but I mean, yeah. there's a lot of people here, so you're going to run across some ones that aren't, but, um, I think what I love so much about it is, you know, it, it does have a lot of things for everyone. You know, now one of the things we're lacking that we just can't control are beaches and mountains. You know, we yeah. don't, we don't have that, you, you know, you can't yeah. re, we can't recreate we got lakes. It. We got lakes. We got a lot of lakes. <laughs> we you know, got so lagoons. If you, if you like boating, we certainly got that. Yeah. Are um, you a boater? I am not a boater. Yeah. I am almost anti-boat. Really? <laughs> Boats freak me out. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I like, I don't like not being in control. And I don't know how to drive a boat. I mean, I have driven a boat before, but I certainly wouldn't say yeah. I'm skilled at it. But I've had a couple of um, not so pleasant experiences All on right. boats. So you want your feet on the ground. Yeah. Or, I mean, if I, you know, I don't mind being on like a big boat, you know, where it's like a cruise ship, well, not a cruise ship, <laughs> but just like, I, like a bigger boat. Like you get me on a ski boat on Lake Louisville in the middle of the summer, like that's kind of probably the last place I would okay. be because it's, if you haven't been out there, it's nuts. I have not. Well, I've been on the lakes here. Uh, Possum kingdom is. Yeah. Oh, that's, on. I love Possum kingdom. I yeah. went there as a kid a lot. Growing up, we, I grew up in Northern California and we had, you know, the lakes are beautiful there. Mm -hmm. um, and we my grandparents had a boat and we had a boat and we would go water skiing and, you know, hang out and the water was cool though mm -hmm. in California. So that was like a summertime activity. Yeah. Lots of fond memories, but here it's just never been on my radar screen as something to do. Well, and it's not, it, I would guess it's not so easily accessible here too. Like we do have lakes, but you know, you got to go this way to get to this lake or that way to get to that lake. You know, you don't have a lot of like natural resource sometimes like right in the middle of where everything yeah, is. Yeah, right on, you're not right on top of it. You're not right on top of it. You can't see yeah. the ocean, you know, you can't see the shoreline from your house, you know, yeah, or, if you or need driving that, down the highway. Texas is not the place Texas for you. Texas is not the place, but. If you um, like kind people. The good people. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, you know, there is a lot of diversity of, um, you know, again, of, of just our population as a mm -hmm. whole. So I think, you know, there's, we've got great restaurants, you know, I mean, we're like kind of, I was known. just talking about somebody, I believe that the restaurant scene here is very underrated. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I, I mean, people who, you know, if you love food, like, you know, we've got all sorts of different opportunities there. Um, you know, I think from an entertainment perspective, you know, we've got, 
you know, of course, you got the Cowboys. People love that and yeah. so forth. Yeah, you you got, like sports. This you got, is your place. You got good sports scene here. Um, You're a golfer. I'm a golfer. There's, you know, I perceive a lot of golf courses here. There's a here. ton of golf I courses here. I, I, my, my general perception is that like per capita, there's a high ratio of golf courses to people. Well, we, well, you can play golf 11 months a year here. True. You know, yeah. or sometimes it's 12 months a year, you know, <laughs> I mean the last couple of years we've had some challenges. Did you golf this year over any time in December? Uh, I did. See? Yeah, yeah. I did. And I and mean, I'll probably golf in January well, too. I played golf on December 30th in shorts, you know? Right. I mean, that's pretty nice. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. I mean, it's 80 degrees here today. You know? I know it's this I, is the weather that that hooked me on Texas. I think I was living in the Northeast mm -hmm. and I came here on my recruit trip and it was like, what? This is, you know, the Northeast is just brutal. Oh, it's brutal. Winter. Yeah, it shuts like, down for like yeah, six or seven months. Yeah. And it's literally frozen. <laughs> Like I came here and I was like, this is amazing. Like, mm -hmm. uh, yes, I accept this offer. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it then, it, then the first, you know, the first winter I was here, it snowed like in early December. And I was like, I got rid of all my sweaters. I thought right. this isn't I, supposed I, to be a thing here. I thought it was supposed <laughs> to be hot all the time. Yeah, I can count, you know, my kids are, you know, they've been fortunate the last, you know, two years to get some snow. Yeah. You know, of course, my kids, you know, they don't get to see snow, right? I mean, unless we go to Colorado yeah. or something. So we get some snow the last couple of years and now they're kind of expecting it every winter. I'm like, well, guys, mm, like, you know, don't get your hopes I've up. been here my whole life and <laughs> I can count probably on, you know, one hand, the amount of times it snowed in the winter. It's so not often. <laughs> it's not often, but um, yeah, the weather's here, you know, the weather here is great. So it gives a lot of opportunity for outdoor activity, yeah. even during, you know, what you would think are months that you can't do that. Do you golf in the summer, like in August? I do. Okay. Yeah. It's pretty toasty. It is hot. Yeah. I mean, it's humid yeah. here, you know, I mean, yeah. we're not, it's not for the faint of heart, but I mean, I, I will say the last couple summers up until this one, this one was pretty brutal. 2022 yeah. was a, was a tough summer, but I think it's, you know, just part of living. here. It's just part of living here, you know? And I mean, it's so, I, but, but I think that, you know, for people, for active people, it's, there's a lot to do here. Yeah. Um, because you just, you have so much opportunity to do that. Yeah. Well, speaking of active, mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about real estate with you. Uh, of course. Uh, and um, it has not been super active <laughs> lately with real estate, but I think a lot of our audience is wondering what's going to happen. You, you mentioned being in the market 20 years and including being in the market during the housing crisis, we'll call it. Yeah. What's similar? What's different this time around? Um, I'll start with the differences because, I mean, to me, they're they're pretty noticeable. So, yeah, having been you know, um, in the industry, you know, when we had the big recession in mm -hmm. you know, 2008, 2009, it was, you know, caused by different factors, right? You had a lot bigger kind of global economic <laughs> things happening. Yeah. Um, you know, you had financial and, you know, institutions that were collapsing and going bankrupt. You had car manufacturers that were collapsing and going bankrupt. And a lot of it was driven by the housing market, but it was driven specifically in the mortgage industry. So you had, mm. you know, a lot less regulation over the mortgage mortgage industry, a lot more predatory predatory type lending practices yeah. that happened. And born out of that was like the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which, mm -hmm. you know, came in and, you know, slapped all these, you know, big banks on the hand yeah. and, and mortgage lenders for their predatory practices. And still I think kind our of current a whole, closing disclosure is a result of the it is, yeah. Instead of, of yeah, the 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 the, yeah, the CD. Yeah. Is, CD, is a byproduct which, yeah. of CFPB. And so there was, it, it was a little bit more for the lack of a, of a better analogy, the wild west 
at that time yeah. because there really just wasn't a whole lot of regulation uh-huh. on what was happening. You know, in 2004, five, six, financial markets were booming. You know, people want, you know, banks want to lend money. They just want, yeah, they're just, you know, throwing it out, lend, making, lend, it, lend. making yeah. it rain. And, you know, we had a big demographic of people that were, you know, looking to get into homes. Mm-hmm. And this wasn't just locally here. I mean, this was obviously a national yeah. thing. It hit really hard in some of the big metropolitan markets, you know, thinking of, you know, like Miami and, and Las Vegas and, and Phoenix yeah. and area, obviously California. Um, so that was, you know, that kind of bubble was built up on, you know, a, a house of cards for the lack yeah. of a better way to put it. A lender told me, oh, we were giving loans to people who had no business getting a loan. Yeah. Well, and they, I'm like, well, why did you give them? Well, well, well they, that's what everybody did. <laughs> well, they were called no doc loans. Yeah. I mean, you almost didn't even, all you really had to do is prove that you could breathe. Are you a real estate agent listening to this podcast? Our team is growing. To find out more about joining a fun, service-minded team, go to hastingsre.com slash careers. That's H-A-I-S-T-I-N-G-S-R-E dot com slash careers. But there was no oversight of, you know, any qualifications uh-huh. to get one. And that was the whole subprime That's market. so fascinating com- yeah. comparing to now. Like, to now, it's, you know. Getting a loan is not always pleasant right they say you have to like give up your your firstborn right to get a loan it's i think it's i think it's calmed down some i think when we were you know as as a as a country when you're first coming out of that crisis and seeing some recovery Mm -hmm. you know the early 2010s um there was an extra emphasis on making sure that things were being done were being done right so it was really challenging at that point to get a mortgage and of course a lot of those rules and regulations are still in place but there's been some loosening of those kind of goes yeah yeah so that's a little bit of a difference i mean similarity wise i think you know i would just say demand is similar Mm -hmm. because at the time there was a lot of demand for housing that's not really changed pre yeah, uh, so pre-bubble or post well, bubble Well, it's like pre-bubble, like yeah. right. So the things that led up to the yep. you know that led up to the massive growth we'd had and kind of collapse was a lot of demand. Um and that demand, while it may have stagnated for a little bit, I don't think it really ever went away. It yeah. just kind of paused for a lot of people. People still need to live places. They still need they, yeah. they still need somewhere to live, right? And so, you know, we had a you know, a lot of foreclosures and those were getting, you know, the demand, those people were getting opportunities there to, to get into homes at less affordable, you know, less, um, uh, more affordable prices. Yeah. Um, the demand now is pretty intense as well. Um, mm-hmm. but the difference is, is that, you know, we're coming out of kind of an unprecedented, you know, last 24 months, almost <laughs> three mean, years. It's not now. normal to sell your house in one weekend Correct. for a 20% over what you think it's worth. <laughs> Correct. Well, and just, and just the factors are different, uh-huh. right? So the factors this time, you know, I mean, we'll start first and foremost with just the pandemic, right? Cool. So that, so that shuts down, you know, the country as a whole almost, mm-hmm. you know, for the better part of a minimum, you know, eight to 10 weeks, we'll say at the beginning. Yeah. Um, and so from a housing perspective, you know, everybody starts working from home, you know, they pause on what they want to do or mm-hmm. what they thought they were going to do. You know, we can't move right now. We can't even have anybody come into our house. We can't go look at houses. And so the demand subsides again. Yeah. But then things start to reopen. There's no inventory because no homes were going to were coming on the market demand skyrockets mm-hmm. interest rates plummet even further you know population growth in north texas continues and it's so like the you, perfect storm you had a perfect storm yeah. of factors that created this intense market we had um for the last two years 
And those factors weren't kind of fake. They they were real things right. that happened. The pandemic changed. The people's pandemic changed for people's housing. correct. People kind of got asset rich during the pandemic. Absolutely. Too, which was really yeah. counterintuitive to me. I would have expected the opposite to happen. Well, people were flush with casts and mar- yeah. markets doing fantastic, right. right? And so I've always kind of looked to the luxury market as a leading indicator mm-hmm. of what you know, I like. I call the general market is going to do. Yeah. And so the luxury market, because typically people who have, you know, I'm not saying general market people don't have cash, but when you're in the luxury market, you know, a lot there's of those people, cash. there's more cash there, more cash. and they'll typically put it in places that that feels secure. Mm-hmm. And real estate historically has been yeah. that. So you start to see the luxury market kind of pick up and kind of go crazy, you know, post pandemic. The general market will follow, and there's a lot more opportunity there because it's a higher it's a higher dense you know population mm-hmm. of people, and so um, that's what happened. And then it, there's got to naturally be some slowdown. I mean, you got it's market real estate's a cycle, yeah. But the cycling here is different. You know, we're not crashing; we're we're curving back to the mean, like which is which is good. Yeah, like I we're, agree. Yeah, we're going we're back to normalized. what normalized, what it should be. So, you know, when we do comparison of you know, 2022 to 2021 or 21 to 20, you know, I kind of almost have to look at the last couple of years as a bit of an anomaly. Like mm-hmm. they almost deserve an asterisk, yeah. you know, asterisk in the, in the, in not the, normal, not normal. Yeah. Like in the, in the, in the, in the annals of time, yeah. you know, these years are like they, it should say asterisks. Pand- exclude from your averages. Yeah. Pandemic years. Yeah. So that's where we are. You know, we, uh, we just looking at some statistics, um, you know, for what our North Texas market did, you know, year end, they align up really, really strongly with like 2019 and 2018, yeah. which were good real estate markets. Yeah, you know, I re- remember that being a great time for sellers. It was a great time for and yeah, fine for and buyers, buyers too. That's like right. they, they transact comfortably. Yeah, I, mean, I felt really uncomfortable like in early 2022 when you're like, if you're not bidding a hundred thousand dollars over, you're not serious. It's like I know this is a big ask, but this is what you got to do. Yeah, how do you tell they, somebody that? And then they don't and they lose and, and they're like, well, at least we know you're not lying to us. Yeah. But you're like, yeah, I mean, it's crazy right now. Well, I'll let me, if I can ask you a question, you know, having uh-huh. been on the front lines of that more so than I have, you know, that conversation that you have to have with people, like, you know, what's the barrier you have to get through to get them to believe you? Yeah, I mean, they have to have a lot of credibility. Mm-hmm. And as horrible as it sounds, I think you have to lose a couple times. Mm-hmm. You have to taste defeat before for a buyer before they're ready to, you know, like take the plunge and get the house. Mm-hmm. And all my buyers who went pretty big last year are, are still ahead. Yeah. Right? yeah. So and the other plus is like their cost of ownership is so low on a recurring basis right now. I mean, they had to put a lot of cash in like they're locked in at really great payments. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I think it was really hard to build rapport like a lot of people reach out to us online in our team and so we don't have a relationship with them first so as we build rapport and oftentimes after they lose one or two offers they're like oh okay you're not just trying to get me to bid up like you're you're serious i have to do that right yeah Uh, yeah which you know it's it's kind of tough like part of my job became being a counselor last year yeah well and i think i would i would i would think that when whether you're first time home buyer or you bought several homes before being in the position where somebody tells you if you want to even have an opportunity to get this yeah. house, you got to think about going a hundred thousand dollars over the price. I mean, that's a hard pill to swallow, right? You know, even if you have the cash or even if yeah. you're looking at it from a payment perspective and saying, okay, it's going to adjust our payment four or five, $600 a mm-hmm. month. We can do that. 
I mean, it's a hundred thousand dollars, you know, cash, I mean, cash. not like where you're going to get a loan for this amount. Correct. You're going to have to bring cash. Correct. And so that's, you yeah. know, I, I feel for the people who had to go through that, you know, I mean, the people who to get into homes, it's, it's yeah. tough. And that's not normal. No, it's not normal. I, I mean, I remember being in a couple of multiple offer situations, uh-huh. you know, during that timeline. Yeah. And I mean, you're talking and, and the fact that, you know, you had somebody say, oh, by the way, you know, we've got multiple offers. You're like, what's the, what's the, you know. So the house is 200 and we're going to yeah. get two. Well, you're like, what's the, what's, what's, what's the odds, what's the the odds of that, right? You know, you yeah. have a house that's been on the market for 90 days and all of a sudden you're thinking, uh-huh. okay, I think we got some room to get to this number. You know, here's yeah. what I would recommend you come in at. And the next thing you know, they're like, oh, by the way, we just received another offer. And you're like, uh, okay. Are you sure? Are you positive <laughs> about that? And so, you know, you're thinking, okay, we'll go like 5,000 over mm-hmm. or, you know, maybe 7,000 over. I mean, I had one that sold for a thousand over. It was right. multiple offers and it went yeah. for, it was a $170,000 house that went for 171, right. you know? Yeah. And so when you start getting into the types of numbers we did and in the luxury market, it, it was, was even crazy, like half a million dollars, you know? Last year. Uh-huh. I mean, five, yeah, six, seven hundred thousand dollars over. To think about. And a lot of these people are just paying cash, period. You know, yeah. so it's, you know, it's not just out of pocket for the overage. They're paying, buying their the houses thing. in cash. Yeah. yeah. So I say they're writing a check, but they're actually sending a wire transfer. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Liquidating something, yeah. and, you know. So it is, it was a very unique set of circumstances that, um, that didn't come about yeah. because of, you know, um, irresponsible practices, mm-hmm. right? It was just where we were and people were willing supply to do and it. Demand, supply right? and demand. That's a simple, I mean, we had, we had record level, low levels of inventory. Right. I mean, when you're talking about, you know, you have a week's worth of homes <laughs> in certain areas, yeah. you know, and, and, and the valuation was changing almost on like a bi-weekly or bi-monthly basis. Yeah. It was hard for agents to price houses it, too. It was, you know, I talked to some agents, you know, at the time this was happening and was like, you know, ask them, where are you? where are you pricing homes? And a lot of them, I mean, kind of the answer I got across the board from a lot of people is we're going 10% at a, a minimum above what the numbers show us because that's how quickly it was escalating. Mm-hmm. And then even then they're still going way over. Yeah. So, so now do they crash? So do they what? So now the prices crash? I don't think they crash. I think they correct. Yeah. You know, and so, yes, are there going to be people that paid these, you know, exorbitant amounts and they're not going to be able to sell it for that this year. Of course. Now, does that mean but they five don't, years, they might be able to sell five years. They might be that. able to yeah. does, now. Does that mean they don't have equity in their house? No. Right. Yeah. Because it doesn't, you know, they, people still have equity in their mm-hmm. home. Right. And so they're, you know, they're coming in in an equity, they're already coming in in an equity position to begin with, you know, but I mean, people are still putting money down. Right. So they've already got equity built yeah. in there. Yes. They may have had to, you know, extend some extra cash to, to get it done. But they're coming in in a position. There is continuing to be appreciation. We're just not appreciating at the rate we were. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I read an article recently that you know if you standardize the appreciation rate, it was about four percent in twenty two. Like if you take if you go back to the standardization of it, yeah, you know that's what it really was. I mean, granted, I know that's not what it says it is, but um, that's kind of where I think we're going to fall is in that normal level. Yeah. So I don't think there's going to be, you know, a bubble burst of pricing. Um, you know, I think for builders, you know, they're probably going to have to, as they continue to build, you know, they'll, they'll be the ones that will come down a little bit more, uh-huh. a little bit quicker. They also have a lot of margin in there they too. Do. I mean, they escalated their prices very quickly. They did. Yeah. And some of them and were certainly unrealistic. Yeah. Yeah. But I think for the average person who, you know, purchased a home and, you know, post pandemic mm-hmm. up to this point, shouldn't be worried about their asset being worth something you know yeah. far less than what the market value is of it i agree yeah. i think they're i think it's delusional 
It, well, it is. Yeah. Honest. You know, I mean, if you're in a position where you bought at the height of the market and, you know, let's say you get relocated or some life occurrence yeah. happened and you have and you have to sell. Well, you know, it you might be, you know, taking a little bit of a loss there from what you paid. On the flip side, if they took that money out of their crypto or their stock account, they might <laughs> right. still be way, way, way Cert- ahead. Certainly crypto. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. yeah, I guess it matters. You know, if they change one asset class to another, at least real estate's more stable. It's always, I mean, it is a state. I mean, it is, yeah. I think, you know, anybody who talks to their, you know, their accountant or tax advisor or whomever financial yeah. planner will always tell them, like, that's a safe haven for money. So back in 2007, 2008, there was a lot more inventory on the market too, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. There was. Like yeah. So like months kind of, and months of supply. Kind of going, so going into what, you know, became that recession, mm-hmm. um, I'd say it's probably, you know, lower than where we're at now, but not as low as it was, you know, a, a six months ago, 10 months ago, 12 months ago. Talk about the inventory? Inventory. Yeah. So going into pri- pre-recession, yeah. right, when the market was really good, uh-huh. inventory was low work. It was low then too. Yeah, but it wasn't, you know, a month low. Yeah. You know, it was a couple of months of inventory. Coming out of the recession, you know, post that, there was a lot. I mean, there were some areas that had 10 months of inventory, right? I mean, That's it's a lot. It was a lot of inventory. Sell. I mean, it was, there was, you know, people couldn't sell their homes too. Mm-hmm. I worked in the condo townhome market and it was almost impossible to get Ooh, financing one, yeah. on condos, townhomes post that recession. So there was a lot of people that were leasing their properties out because they couldn't sell them. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, people became landlords. Landlords or, or, or lost it. Yeah. You know, a lot of people lost their properties. But what happened was, is that we had this, you know, excessive amount of inventory. And then, you know, you, we got a little bit further with that in our rearview mirror. And then all of a sudden the demand never really had gone away. Mm-hmm. It just paused and then yeah. it starts to pick up and we exercise that inventory pretty quickly to where then it's just, it's really been a bull real estate market, you know, since 2010, 2011, you know, that's For where we've more been than a decade, more than a decade, you yeah. know, I mean, it's gone up, it's escalated. It's never really gone down mm-hmm. rates at that, you know, the rates dropped precipitously, you know, post <laughs> that, and they didn't get down to 3%, but you know, rates were pretty stable in the six to 7% range. Again, mm-hmm. the norm kind right, of where right. we are where now, we are now. Yeah. Um, at that time. And then, you know, to encourage, you know, to encourage a uptick in the housing market, you know, the Fed keeps cutting the rate, you know, down to we're zero for I don't even know how many years it sat at zero. Yeah. And so that, you know, helped stimulate the housing market. And then it just it's it took off. But it took off like at a good scale. It took mm-hmm. off at a gradual scale, which is I think why as we come to this point where we're seeing some correction, we've had enough history between that recession and now that we've corrected the errors yeah. that could cause like a housing crisis. Mm-hmm. I think people just have it like as a scar in their mind. Mm-hmm. So just any like sort of idea that it might be happening, people start to pull back and yeah. perhaps even overreact to it. Yeah, I think and I, that's probably natural for some people too, to just like, hey, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna take a break and yeah. and I just wanna see what's gonna happen. You know, I still have the need, the desire, <laughs> yeah. you know, the determination mm-hmm. to get it. But, you know, I'm gonna kind of, you know, kind of, see what happens for a moment. And it's a long-term It's play. a long-term I hold, think, yeah. I think the financialization of our economy, people think in pretty short cycles mm-hmm. versus like, I'm going to own this home for a decade. Mm-hmm. Or I had somebody tell me, I'm going to die in this house, Yeah, right? Well, <laughs> well your heirs are going to make a lot of money. That's back. right, yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, so, I, but people tend to want to think like, oh my God, home buyers are going to go down this year. Yeah. Well, maybe. Yeah. I've had a couple buyers recently say, well, we think prices are going to go down 20% this year, so we're going to wait. Yeah, I'm I mean, like, I've, well, I mean, I happen to have a belief in my life that all things are possible, but it doesn't make it probable. I've heard a couple of things that had, 
uh, I don't know if it was so much pricing as it was just activity, mm-hmm. you know, like overall sales could go, could be down as much as 20% this year. I think um, people are completing that number. Yeah, maybe. It's yeah. very believable for me that we have less homes sold. A hundred percent. Yeah. I yeah. mean, we, you know, when we started to see kind of the shift in 2022, you know, kind of from the mid year on of last year, year over year from 21, we saw a reduction less in just homes. total number yeah. of homes sold. Um, we'll probably see a reduction of total number of homes sold between now and, you know, early summer, late, we'll call it maybe late spring because the beginning of 2022 was still so frenetic that we're going to naturally see a little bit of a downtick on just numbers. But I think when we start to get into the summer and compare against last year, when we were seeing a reduction, I, I think it's going to be pretty, pretty flat. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it could go up or down a a couple of percentage points either way. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think it could go either way. I mean, I don't see us dropping 20%. The whole I think year. a lot of well, I think a lot of things have to go wrong. I do too. Yeah, <laughs> For I think a lot of things would yeah. have to go wrong. So yeah. I mean, at that point, we're not worried about home values. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At that point, yeah, there's we're some worried serious, about getting drafted or something. <laughs> yeah, there's some serious, you know, global social yeah. global crises you know. happening, and and you know, other financial markets are collapsing, right. and uh, and I, suddenly again, though, when other financial markets are collapsing, at least with real estate, you have something to show for it at the end of the day. That's right. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a tangible asset. Yeah. You know, that's why when you see when when financial markets go down you know people start investing in gold and silver and right. platinum and, at least we have something you know, to show yeah i've never been a big fan of they crypto. get out of equities and they get into yeah. you know i know yeah. people are going to hate me but i'm just not crypto is a hard one for me to wrap my head around i'm like there's nothing to show for it like I've never it, it understood just it. like i i mean i get i get the con- conceptually why it's nice it's very portable and exchangeable mm-hmm. but there's nothing valuable left yeah i was selling something recently uh-huh. just like selling some old stuff that i had and uh, you know, they're like, would you take Venmo or Zelle? And I mean, I mean, yeah, I do. I mean, I yeah, have, of I course, have, I have. But yeah. I'm like, I'd actually prefer cash. Like, yeah. I know it's kind of a lost art, but I actually would yeah. just like Can cash. You just go to your ATM and yeah. give me cash. And it's amazing now how many places won't take cash. And I'm like, it's, <sighs> I mean, it's I currency. Know. Like, what do you mean you don't take cash? I, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, I <laughs> candidly hardly ever pay for things with cash, but I like to have some on me just in case. And it's kind of shocking yeah. when you see places that, you know, you know, you know, card only, you're like, well, I have money though. <laughs> like, don't you want yeah. my money? <laughs> yeah. My car's not working today. <laughs> yeah, right? Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting to think about. I mean, millennials sometimes when they go, go under contract. You're, I, I used to always tell everybody to write a check for their earnest of money. Of course. I've since stopped doing that because like a millennials, you're like, do you have a checkbook? Mm-hmm. And they're like, no. No. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we're going to go to the other options. Mm-hmm. And later I've learned I like the other options better. So they're I better start anyway. by recommending those. But right. I just always thought that was funny. Like, oh, oh yeah, no, no checkbook. Okay. No checkbook. Yeah. So continuing on real estate, mm-hmm. looking at this year ahead, what do you think obstacles are going to be for sellers? I think the obstacle is going to be, I mean... I, I don't know if it's so much an obstacle. I think buyers are feeling a little bit more empowered now. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, yes, rates have gone up, right? I mean, that's just the reality. Like, that's not yeah. changing. You know, so they you can you get with it and you'll be yeah. okay with it. Have but they I, gone up, or as we said, have they just gone back to normal? Well, back <laughs> right? back to normal. They've gone up from 2022, <laughs> yeah. but back to kind of some normal yeah. levels. So I think the you know I think buyers definitely have a little bit more of empowerment and mm-hmm. the ability now to purchase. You know, it's a little bit more of a level playing field, um, and that's not across the board. I mean, there's certainly plenty yeah. of areas. We were just had our team meeting in here, our sales meeting yesterday and had several agents talking about you know got multiple offers on their clients on their sellers homes i've seen a lot of that so far this year so it's not as if it's you know not happening yeah um but um you know from a seller's perspective i think that you know having some faith in the fact that the demand is is still real Mm -hmm. 
it, it, it's absolutely still real. And if you're home and the, it's never really changed, you no, know, the old moniker in real estate, you know, when I got started, it still is to some extent, I think is, you know, location, location, location. Yeah. I, that's, that's I really a, took that for granted as a new agent. And then it like clicked like a couple of years and I was like, oh yeah, it really is all location. It is really, it location. really is. But I tell you now, I think where the, the sellers have the best opportunity is to have their homes ready to sell. You know, like yes, they, to you can't stand, be lazy anymore. You can't be lazy anymore. Like you got to stand out. You know, mm-hmm. when a home has been well cared for, well um, appointed, you know, renovated, whatever it may be, um, those homes are still pulling yeah. the, the, the premium dollar. They're pulling mm-hmm. the buyers, right? Because a lot of buyers now want turnkey move-in ready. Right. And so, you know, from a buyer's perspective, though, you know, we have heard that there's been, you know, more seller concessions that have been given, you know, than more so in the last 10 years. So, you know, sellers are willing to give a little bit. So, you know, whether that's helping with some closing costs or providing, you know, some type of concessions, yeah. you know, against something getting repaired or, or to buy a rate down, you know, that's a big thing that's going on right now is getting yeah. a concession from a seller for a rate buy down. Yeah. I know you've told me you've done a couple of those. Yeah. I, I mean, I like it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that window has closed, mm-hmm. but buyers had a lot of negotiability in the fall. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, let's exploit this and mm-hmm. see how, how much, like if they're my client, I'm going to do my best to take care of you. Yeah. And I'm like, let's exploit that and see what we can get the seller to do for you. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that's gone now. Like it's a new year. I think now anybody who's a seller who's listing their house has said, has like had time to recalibrate their expectations mm-hmm. and is not going to give as much away. Well, the good, but I would think yeah. too, some of that recalibration might be they're looking at the price now and going, okay, we were maybe unrealistic. Yeah. So their house may be coming back on the market and that may go away, but maybe the price has come back to something that, to like that's more, more that's more of an advantage for the buyer now. And I think this is a challenge for buyers because they're like, prices are falling. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Mm, sellers are reducing their asking price. Mm-hmm. I don't wouldn't conflate that with like home values. Right. Like I looked recently and in Plano, the average sold price per square foot was 215 for last year. Mm-hmm. And the average listings are 235. Right. So, I mean, there's a mismatch. <laughs> there is. And that's a, big, I mean, that's a big, that's a big, that's a big gap. That's a big number. Now, some of the listings that are, this is the beginning of the year. There's some listings that have been sitting around for a while. So mm-hmm. of course, probably some of the high expensive ones and ones that are just totally outlandishly overpriced. But right. I, you know, I'm like, well, this is a challenge I think for the marketplace, mm-hmm. but for sellers too, like yeah, getting more in touch with what's their yeah. home is worth. <laughs> well, and it always say, you know, it always takes the the seller market, you know, time to catch up to what's happening in real time. Yeah, buyers are there now. Yeah, buyers, you yeah. know, buyers know what ha- what's happening in real time. They're you making know? the market. Yeah, sellers, it takes a little bit of time for that to sink in for them. Like, you know, when we had this correction in 2022, when we came out of, you know, craziness and yeah. chaos and kind of started to see, you know, a little bit of a, of a pivot backward, um, it, it, they don't, they don't, they don't see that right away, you know, because it takes a while for the numbers, you know, nationally, you know, locally and nationally mm-hmm. to catch up. So they keep hearing home prices soar, home price, you know, record number of homes sold. Yeah. In the meantime, that's data that's, you know, been in the past. Like that, that's already happened. They're like, years. this is from February, 2022. This yeah. Is, this that's, is not true anymore. <laughs> that's data that's 30, 60, you know, days yeah. old at, at, at the minimum. So, um, you know, and we're going into the, like, this is, you know, historically the season of the market we're going into is the busiest. You know, we're coming into the spring yeah. market. I mean, I know it's winter, but the spring market, you know, generally it's picks up in February. Like and yeah. the, you know, the, your busiest selling months are typically April, May, and June. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, if you go look at historical figures for Dallas-Fort Worth, yeah. those are the months. I'm you know? kind of peculiar, because I've kind of thought it would be 
like just strong throughout mm-hmm. the spring, summer, into the fall. Mm-hmm. It's strong. It's, it's not. It doesn't go down wildly, but it. Yeah. It, it just, it's amazing how like in terms of closings, mm-hmm. how, how much activity there is like in August or April. I mean. Yeah, April. Yeah, and then it, yeah. I mean, yeah, it might. It may. It may dip a little bit in the mid to late summer. You know, early fall off of maybe that May June number. The, the back to school. The, the, the back vacations, to school. The vacations, yeah. but it's still high. You know, mm-hmm. it's still, it, but you know, from an agent perspective, you know, you come off of running, 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 and then you yeah. get into that and you're like, wait, what happened? And, but then you realize, oh, well, you know, it's still busy. It's just like not as busy as those other Yeah. Months. This has been, uh, I think uh, on our team, we have some newer agents. And so it's like educating them. Like, well, this just feels like 2019 again. Mm-hmm. Like I, you were running so fast. You were going 180 miles an hour. And now we're going 60. 60 is not exactly slow. Like, right. Yeah. It's still pretty, pretty, pretty brisk yeah, we're, not, pace. We're, not, we're not in a school zone. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. So um, it's interesting to think about yeah. where we're at now. And I'm I bullish. I'm, I am too. That's, that, that's my overall sentiment for 2023 mm-hmm. is that I am confident, op, op, you know, cautiously optimistic. Yeah. That we're going to have a solid a solid market this year. Yeah, I think there's a great opportunity for sellers to you know get an elevated price over maybe where they came in. You know, depending on you know where mm-hmm. they've been in their house and where they bought it. You know, well, that's the thing. Yeah, it always depends on yeah. you know where you came into it and 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 how long you've had it. You know, yeah. I mean, they can't homes don't just you know overnight in a year you know turn out you know thirty five percent returns. What? Yeah. <laughs> What? I thought that was normal. Right. I think this is a challenge for um, like under 30. Mm-hmm. Those buyers who are basically first time home buyers mm-hmm. have a different expectation. You know, mm-hmm. They're like, when are interest rates going to go back down to normal? Well, mm-hmm. we're here. This is it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, like, it, it was what, what do you mean? My home's not going to go up 28 percent this year. <laughs> right. You know, they're, that, that's all they know. Right. right. Their, their normal is 3 yeah. percent interest rates. You know, when, again, if you look at, you know, I, ha- I saw, I had a historical chart. I wish I could remember it, um, you know, from heart, but, you know, only a handful of occasions in the history of since these, since mortgage rates, you know, started, were they ever below 4%? I mean, we can count them, you know, like, and we've been in that, right? You know, but even yeah. again, when we had a, when we had a great market in the, you know, the mid 2000s, you know, interest rates were six to 7%. Mm-hmm. And that was an amazing rate to get, you know, yeah. so it's all relative, yeah. you know, it's all relative to, what your experience is and, and where you've been. But I think, you know, understanding and accepting from a buyer's perspective that, you know, a 6% interest rate isn't a bad thing. It's, yeah. not, it's not at all. Yeah. And there's always going to be opportunities if they do go down to refinance, mm-hmm. right? So when you find a property that, you know, suits your needs and fits your needs, you know, and you have the ability to do it, do it. Right. You know, and right. you can always, yeah. I mean, I would worry about, you know, if you're worried about, you know, a couple hundred bucks, I mean, I don't say worry a couple hundred bucks a month isn't a, isn't a big thing for people when you're budgeting. But if the thought is, is that, you know, I can't make myself pay that because it's just, it's going to go down. Well, that may not happen like you yeah. know, as soon as you want it to. Right? I mean, I can't count the number of times people have said, we're going to wait until next year. And then their affordability went down. Mm-hmm. And whether that's happens this year via prices or interest rates, I think it's a, a real possibility like the the waiting gets mm-hmm. compounds over time mm-hmm. unfortunately most people can't have their income go up super fast every year mm-hmm. which is why i say if you can have your income go up a lot every year then sure wait like you're mm-hmm. going to constantly have flexibility in your budget but like if your income isn't going to constantly go up in 10 percent a year yeah which typically they don't it's not normal yeah. incomes couldn't keep up with houses you yeah know? and now i think we're going back to that part where they they should be able to you know if you get back to the normal so. appreciation like the, the hope is is that is that they do keep up but 
Yeah, I mean, I've always looked, you know, my personal, you know, thought process for for homes, you know, specifically the one I'm going to live in is that, yeah, it's an investment, right? So you're making a calculated Mm -hmm. decision and you want to make sure you're making a good decision and you're doing your research and you got your great agent doing that, helping you there. But, you know, buy it for your need, right? Buy your house for what you need and worry about the investment part of it on the back end because it'll be there. You know, uh, it's, you know, if you have a need and, and, and you, and a want and you want to be somewhere. And there's so many other factors too, like yeah. lifestyle factors, talking right. about being in a neighborhood. That's great. Right. And like having the amenities you want, like right. those are part of the price and the investment value, but like they affect your life every single day. That's right. It's not like a 10, 20 years down the road when we yeah. sell this thing. Yeah. You know, well in houses, you know, you, you can own, you can own stock equity, you know, crypto, whatever you own. Yeah. And you can look at a daily thing and be like, oh, it fluctuated this amount. Yeah. I mean, if you want to do that, yeah. you can, you know, houses aren't like that. Right. Right. You know, your house gets judged kind of on an annual basis. And the, the closest thing you can come to that is, you know, your tax value. Yeah. Which is which, totally out of whack, which here. is totally out of whack here. Yeah. But you don't, there's no barometer for you to every single day to be like, oh, my house, you know, lost 2% of its value today. You know I mean? Yeah. It's, it's not doing that. Plus it's, it's not a quick transaction when you want to like you can't unload it like you can right i do think like when you think about crypto and blockchain and all that like i think some people are going to create ways for houses to like change hands faster Mm -hmm. i don't think it's going to be common probably it'll not happen here quickly either it'll probably happen in the miami's new york's like san francisco's but where people can transact a little faster by just like trading the house like trading paper quickly, but I don't think, I think that's a long ways off. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think most people aren't going to buy a house online like, like this. No, it's yeah. Not knowing the schools or if the furniture they love is going to fit. Right. There's so much more to (laughs) it. Or if the neighbors are total wackos. Yeah. Or if you're, or if you're, you know, let's say, you know, you have Pete, you're relocating, right. You know, you don't, you, you know, how many houses did we have that got bought sight unseen, you know, over the last two years? You know, and then they they're on a FaceTime video or, or something yeah. like that. But then you come here, and you're like, well, this neighborhood isn't what I like. Doesn't look the yeah. same as I did, or it's better than I thought it was, or whatever it right. is. You know, I made sure it was always better. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want people to tell me, oh, you let me buy this expensive house in this neighborhood. Right. They show up and they're like, I paid how much for this? You yeah. didn't tell me about. <laughs> right. Yeah. I usually try to talk down on the virtual tours. Mm-hmm. Now, after I've talked down, you still want it? Okay. Okay, good. Now we can do it. Yeah. Yeah. So you've seen a lot of transactions as a sales manager mm-hmm. and kind of having a broker role. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about deals gone wrong. I always find that funny. Like, Well, I'll say from the perspective of what I see most common, uh-huh. and this is almost kind of like post the sale happening, you know, yeah. it comes down to like disclosures, right? So that's like the most yeah. common thing that I've seen in my, you know, experience is that, you know, somebody gets into a house and they find out something about it that, you know, they felt like they should have known. Mm-hmm. Right. And so then as the agent there, you know, you get pulled back into it because, you know, the your client thinks, you know, your buyer client thinks that you might have should have known about this or how come you didn't bring this to my attention or how come they didn't tell me about this? They must have known. So, yeah. so and that's the assumption that sellers know. And there's like the, you're yeah. giving people a lot of credit. Right. They, they may have forgotten more about the house than we know. Yeah. And if you've lived in a house, you know, it's I sold my, you know, my first home uh, I bought in 2007 and sold it in 2018. And when I filled out that seller's disclosure, I had to really think about it. Yeah, like, I mean, I we'd renovated it twice. You know, yeah. we had had some plumbing issues. You know, I had to kind of really 
sit down and think mm-hmm. about all the stuff. And I wanted to be as, you know, transparent well, as industry. I can. You, you know, yeah. most people are just like, yeah, let's just yeah. fill this format. And they're not malicious. No, but, not at all. But, not at all. But it's just, it's, yeah. and I think that's, you know, the thing there, you know, so transactions gone wrong, you know, I think from a listing agent perspective, educating a seller uh-huh. about the importance of that document and that it's a, you know, it's a statutory state law uh, on disclosure. Mm-hmm. You know, there's only a handful of circumstances that exclude a seller from having to do that. Yeah. So educating your client on not what to put on the form, you know, but being accurate and thorough is really important. Um, other things gone wrong, really kind of sometimes just, you know, I hate to say this, but just incompetence in the industry is yeah. is a thing gone wrong. I mean, you that's know. why I came here. Like I really liked the caliber of agent mm-hmm. and that was really important to me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the barrier to entry is pretty low. It is. It is. And it's, I've always, and thought unfortunately, it's, even being what I think of as relatively good agent, like I can end up getting in a, transaction with not a very good one, right? Right. Yeah. I can't control the house my client falls in love with. That's right. Or the own buyer that comes along, right? Yeah. Like, th- that's right. So so that's a challenge industry wide. It is. Mostly for clients, I think the good agents can um maybe even mask the fact that we're dealing with a bad agent on the other side. I, th- I think so. But it does the the person with the bad agent has the potential to get in a lot of trouble? I think yeah, I, I do, and that's where I think you know, as an experienced and you know knowledgeable agent, you've got to you know for your client's sake, you know not you know not take your own sake, you know your own self out of it yeah. for you know making sure, but for your client's sake, you know picking up that slack and really making sure that you know everything is filled in appropriately and that there's not something you know put inside a contract that could put your client at a disadvantage mm-hmm. or a liability. Um, and that's a lot of times attention to detail. Attention it's to so detail. critical. It's, well, and that's the job of a real estate agent is to understand the contract they're what explaining to their client. <laughs> what are yeah. you talking about? I mean, they're 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 you know they're put out there you know by yeah. the you know by by the real estate commission for mm-hmm. real estate agents to use and an ability to explain them you know clear and concisely to your client so they understand. You know, they're signing an enforceable, you know, they're signing a legally binding document for hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, plus. And so being able to explain that to them, I think, is paramount to like building that trust Mm -hmm. and that reputation in the industry that you're somebody when you bring a client to a property, you know, and you've got a qualified buyer, you're going to bring them to the closing table, you know, short of something you can't control. And so, you know, common things like a lot of it really over the last couple of years, a lot of it's just been you know, lack of attention to detail. Yeah. It's been the People experience of the market, you know? Yeah. And I think now as we're going, I think when you get into a market like this, and when I say like this, I mean, it's it's just slowing down back yeah. to the norm. Where a home doesn't sell in 28 minutes. Right, where you don't have to write an offer from your car and wait, you know, and, well, and wait <laughs> yeah. in a line of 50 people at a house yeah. to get in. Um, my parents, I was home over the holidays and I wanted to go to Starbucks and I was like, let's go inside now. And I was like, Oh, this is a nice inside. And they're like, you go to Starbucks and sit inside a lot. They're like, you're not really a coffee drinker. And I was like, no, but I have to go there to write offers. Yeah, like, that's right. So it's too long to drive to the office or home. So I'm in there yeah. writing the offer. Yeah. But we try to have two sets of eyes, look at our offers before yeah. we send them out. Absolutely. But, um, It'll be interesting to see. We have that new contract coming out. Like, how many agents are caught off guard by that? Right. Well, there's going to be plenty. You know, I mean, I've seen, you know, I've been through 
a lot of rounds of contract uh, <laughs> updates and you know the and different. And they're subtle, but, but they're they, subtle. They these do are, matter. These ones are are fairly subtle. We had a couple of big ones that happened um, in in 2021, um, about just about two years ago now. That were pretty. Those were some pretty big changes, and it took a yeah. while for those to get kind of adopted. These, yeah, a little bit more subtle, but nonetheless still important. Right. Um, but I think you know, like I said, some of the the the, the errors, you know, some of the real estate things gone wrong a lot of times just come down to the competency of the agents, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I don't mean to put that on, you know, it's, if something bad happens, it's the agent's fault. Cause that's certainly not the case, but there's a lot of things that, that can get, that can get solved if they're, if they're corrected it's, early most on. Most problems are communication problems. Yeah, th- that is. I mean, in it's life and in real estate. Yeah. Kind of it's, thinking. it's, this is a cooperative industry that mm-hmm. we're in, you know, so we, we rely on our fellow, you know, realtor, colleague, broker, whatever you want to call it, you know, to be a part, it's, it's a partnership, you know, for whether it's 10 days, 14 days, 30 days, a couple of months, you know, you're working together. You know, the end goal is to both serve your client the best way you can. And I always right. looked at a good real estate transaction between a buyer and a seller happened when both parties gave a little and both parties got a little. Yeah. You know, you have somebody giving something and somebody getting something. That's an equitable transaction. Mm-hmm. You know, we weren't there for the last, you know, couple, couple of years. Se- sellers like, were getting everything. Buyers yeah. were giving they everything. They get everything and they're like, can we ask for more? Yeah. And you're like, they already give you everything possible. There's it, nothing in the contract to protect them at all. And you want more? Well, you know, it's funny just to, <laughs> just to give a, I, I remember this very, very vividly. Um, in my last office I was at, I had an agent who had a listing that had that they had put the agreement as seven fifty. Uh-huh. Okay, so it was a seven hundred and fifty thousand yeah. dollar house, and you know do the whole private exclusive thing, and you know all so that. So it's off market sale. Oh well, and it's but it's coming to the market, yeah, okay. right? So I mean, their intent was to totally come to the market, but they wanted to do this just to kind of trick, you know, gauge what the the interest yeah. was going to be because. You don't, as a seller in that market, you didn't know until it happened to you, right? Like yeah. you have your agent telling you it's going to be crazy. Like just leave your home for yeah. the weekend. Like yeah. don't even like go, go on vacation. Go on vacation. You know, take your dogs, your cats, whatever. You have is. to go into Texas because nowhere else is open. That's <laughs> that's right. Go on yeah. vacation. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And so, but this one really stood out where the house hadn't even hit the open market yet. Uh-huh. I mean, it was available, but it really hadn't been available, you know, for all agents yeah. to go through yet. And they got an offer immediately for $950,000. $200,000 over. $200,000 over. Yeah. And you know, because the agent's like, I mean, this is better than we could have hoped for. Like, I thought we could get in the, like, you know, mid to high eights, but we got one like right off the bat for nine fifty. Yeah. And, you know, that's not to say that you don't say, well, let's still go on the market. You know, you never know. But the sellers were like, I mean, immediate, they're like, he remembered the way he told it to me because these were friends of his. And their immediate response was like, that was nowhere near what we thought we would get. Like they're thinking, <laughs> they're thinking, you know, they're hearing yeah, yeah. The, the stories, right? And they just got an offer for $200,000 over right. before it's really even on the market. And they weren't like elated. They were yeah. just like, okay, well, let's like, well, let's keep let's going. Let's see. You know, yeah. They're and, really not giving us their best. Yeah. And you're like, I mean, oh, oh my gosh, that's an amazing <laughs> so, offer. Like, you know, th- this is like $400 a square foot. I mean, it shouldn't have been that, you know? And so it's just, yes. I mean, so. Sellers made out good, you know, but I think, you know, where we are hopefully this year, and this is kind of what I think the market's doing right Mm -hmm. now is it's an equitable deal. You know, there's opportunities again, it's all, it's all, there's certainly a bunch of variables that are dependent, but you know, sellers are going to, you know, do okay. Mm -hmm. Buyers hopefully will be in a better position, you know, to get some concessions, whether that's price or whatever it is. And we got some balance. Everybody can have a win now. Everybody can have a win, you know, and and I think hopefully that'll take away a little bit of the friction. Yeah. There's a lot of friction. The last mm-hmm. couple of years, a lot of emotion. You know, it's hard for somebody to think, 
why do I have to pay this much more money for the home? You know, and make a decision and I can't not get overnight. One. I couldn't even sleep on it. I have right. to decide now. Right. You know, I have to like, yeah. I have to, I can't even see it. I have to put an offer in before yeah. I can, I'm, I'm capable, physically capable of being yeah. in the home, you know? And so I think it's a good thing. It's yeah. a good thing for not, you know, not just for the profession, you know, not just us. I mean, take the real estate profession. It's a good thing for, for consumers. Right. You know, it's the benefiting them. Sellers think they missed out, mm -hmm. but I'm like, well, you know, your home didn't go down in value since mm -mm. then. And now you don't have to deal with the craziness or the extra stress, like mm -hmm. the high drama of like, here are your 15 offers. Mm -hmm. Let's pick the one you feel most comfortable with. Right. And you know, what it's are, almost what like are the a game show, right? Yeah. Like which one's the trap door that we don't know about. Yes. Yeah. Like no whammies, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We don't know like what can go wrong at any of these, but because they all came quick, right. fast and high. Right. And they're and, and they're wanting, them as best we can, but you know it's a lot more stressful. Well, and they want to make a decision too, and they want to make the right decision, yeah. right? And so then they lean on their agent to help them make that right decision. But at the end of the day, like you know, you, when you have that many, you're doing everything you can to find out all the information to try to get the right one to get them to closing. And the, I, I saw a lot of situations too over these last couple of years where the highest offer didn't always win. Mm -hmm. You know, for a well, lot of people- I had a people, couple of that last time. It, it, like, it, we picked yours because it was just the overall it, best It was the most solid offer. But, and it was also probably, you were a competent agent <laughs> who wrote a complete offer, who was communicative, mm -hmm. explained everything out, asked them, you know, yeah. ahead of time, what was important to the sellers, you know? And I think a lot of sellers, that means a lot to them. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of, yeah, yeah. I mean, money is certainly- you know, a, a driving talks, factor. But yeah. Yeah. But I think for a lot of sellers, it's like, they just, you know, this is their home. Like they yeah. put, you know, they, they got married in it. They had their family in it. You know, I know when I sold my house in 2018, my wife and I sold our house, you know, we lived in a desirable neighborhood. We mm -hmm. had multiple offers and, um, we had a, the family that ended up buying, it was relocating here from New Jersey. And, um, we had a couple offers that were, I mean, they were, if one, one or two may have been like a thousand or $2,000 yeah, higher they were close. And, but these people, like they, they met us at every turn, you know, mm -hmm. like they did everything, you know, and we didn't ask them to do anything. They just went out of their way to show how much they really wanted their yeah. house, how wanted our house. And they even like called us, you know, I'm sure their agent oh, was uh, like, don't do that. Don't, and, please no. I mean, and I was like kind of hesitant to talk yeah. to them. Um, well, but yeah, especially being in my in position. The industry, yes, you're like, mm, yeah, this is maybe not good. Yeah, no, it wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> but it was. But you know, I, I think for a lot of people too, they just want to know that they're they're how they you know. It's like their baby sometimes. That's right. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's a little bit what makes a, a special being an agent mm -hmm. is that it's not just a transaction. Mm -hmm. Like I, I really do appreciate that we're helping people with starting a new chapter. Mm -hmm. I mean, Compass does help everybody find their place in the world. That's right. But that's like there's some truth to that too. Like. It could also, for people that are first time home buyers, it seems like you can change like the whole trajectory of their family too. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I mean, some families have generational wealth off of grandma's house. That's right. And almost by accident, mm -hmm. but it's just cool to be able to think about that. It is. Yeah. And that's, I yeah. mean, it, it can be, you know, life altering. Yeah. So. And then, and then it becomes a home too, which is way more fun when, when they call you up six months later and they're like, come over, let's have a drink. We want to show you all the things we've done. Yeah. So that's special to me. It's, it's not all just transactions. That's right. It's not, I mean, you're, you're, you're building a relationship with people. Yeah. I mean, this is a relational business. You know, it always, it, you know, we may, there may be an exchange of a commodity between, you know, the buyer and the seller, but from a real estate agent perspective, you know, you, it's a relationship, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's being forged and hopefully built over time. And, you know, I, I'm sure you've got tons of clients that you become good friends with and, oh, yeah. and you know, it, it, that's the great part. About no, I'm not very friendly. 
<laughs> that's a great part about this business is it's, you know, it is a people business. I mean, you could be the, you know, smartest financial, you know, thought provoker, you know, know the market upside, you know, uh -huh. inside and out. But, you know, if you got to relate to people, you yeah. know, you got to be able to read people, you got to be able to, you know, commiserate with them, empathize with them. And I think people will choose to do people do business with people like that because there's a trust built. Right. And so I right. think those were the best The people who have longevity in this business are the people that that kind of operate their business that way. Yeah. Well, the, you kind of touched on the last thing I wanted to talk to okay. you about which was agents, mm -hmm. not just our clients, but I suspect a lot of people listening to our podcast and watching our channel are agents. If you're a new agent getting into the business mm -hmm. thinking about, do I go solo? Do I go team? Like mm -hmm. what advice would you give one of those agents? Well, you know, I, th the industry is kind of skewed. I mean, I've, I've seen, I've watched it happen yeah. has skewed a lot more, you know, heavily to the team mm -hmm. model. Um, I think a lot of brokerages recognize that and, you know, have set their set their um, service offerings up to support that. And I don't think it means they're not supporting independent agents, but I think they realize that that's kind of the direction yeah. that for the time being that this industry is headed. As a new agent, I mean, first and foremost, if I were stepping back into time and going to, you know, circumstances were different 18 <laughs> years ago, but if I could, you know, go back in time, if I could borrow Doc's time machine Don't and, we wish we all could. <laughs> and, and do that. Um, first and foremost, you know, I would get as much, as much education and information uh -huh. as I could from like seasoned agents. Like I would yeah. really, you know, make it a important part of my progression and growth to just yeah. be a sponge to, to, you know, that doesn't mean, you know, annoy them and nag them, you know? Yeah. But I mean, I, that's, I would really lean heavily into, um, those professionals. Yeah. Um, in terms of joining, and a they've seen things like that's the subtle nuances of things that go wrong that the experienced agents can really, I think that's right. Share with a newer agent a hundred percent because it's all, you know, you take the, you know, you take the real estate courses, right. And they yeah. teach you what's in a book. Mm -hmm. And then you get your license, but there's no real world application yeah. that's happened yet. Conceptually, and, you know what happens when you put that that in that box, right? But, but realistically, like practically, what does this actually work out to be? When, right, and it never, and that. it, and it very rarely happens that way. There's yeah. very rarely like, oh, you know, everybody signed. Oh, they gave. I mean, everybody did everything just to the T. I mean, that yeah. doesn't that that's like the the white yeah. unicorn of this, yeah, right? People need to be coached. <laughs> yeah, so there's always you know some some speed bumps that uh -huh. you're going to have to deal with. So. From a new agent perspective, I think just leaning into the people around you, you know, getting, yeah. you know, immersing yourself in, you know, what you can learn from them. Um, in terms of joining, you know, being an individual or joining a team, I think if you can find, um, if that appeals to you, find a team where the, you know, the culture part of it, you know, fits in with what mm -hmm. you're looking for. Cause every team is different, right? You know, I mean, there's, you know, a lot of them operate and there's no right or wrong, just a lot of them operate differently, mm -hmm. but finding one that's going to, you know, support you, um, that's going to invest in you, you know, emotionally, you know, educationally, that's, you know, wants you to be a part of something, you know, I think that's an important yeah. thing to look for. I don't think it just comes down to, you know, where am I going to make the most money? You know, <laughs> I think I, for a new agent to think, I that, think yeah. that's, you know, I, I, I think that's, listen, if you do well in this industry, you know, that that will take care of itself. Yeah. You know, there's an opportunity that if you can be successful and you can show your value. Take to, care of people. Yeah, that yeah. that will take care of itself, right? You know, like I good quote from Tiger Woods that, you know, golf quote. Yeah. You know, he was the number one ranked golfer in the world for nearly, a, dec a, while, nearly yeah. a decade. Like if you take the next 
I think they said the next 10 or 12 golfers behind him and add up all their weeks as number one. It still isn't even half of what he was number one. But they used to talk about having the number one ranking for so long. And he said, I don't worry about the ranking. If I win golf tournaments, I'll be the number one ranking. Like all I got to do is focus on the golf tournaments, not the ranking, right? Yeah, focus on taking care of your clients. Yeah, focus Focus on taking the important things. Focus on the important things. Focus on being in the moment, Mm -hmm. you know, taking care of your clients, you know, thinking about, you know, how you want to build your business and that part of it will take care of itself. Um, I think, you know, I think there's um, benefits, you know, I look at sometimes of individual agents, I think there's, you know, benefits of of being an individual agent sometimes too, you know, like you're kind of, you know, in master of your own destiny there in some regard. (laughs) Um, Your own boss until you remember your clients, your boss. (laughs) That's right. That's right. You know, I, I think, you know, there could be, you know, a certain type of clientele that likes just dealing with one person, yep. you know, um, I think there's a huge benefit to being able to go into a presentation with the seller and talk about the team you have around yeah. you. So I think it comes down to just really kind of personal preference. I think it feels like where you feel like you can have success. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, you know, with the propensity now for newer agents to really kind of gravitate towards teams, I would just say, you know, make sure that you're, you know, you're interviewing them too, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an opportunity. It's like dating, right? Really. It is. I yeah. mean, it's an op, you know, it, it shouldn't feel like, you know, you're as a new agent, you know, necessarily maybe beholden to them, you know, in some regard. Right. Like it's, you know, there's going to be opportunity for you, for you there. So take advantage of it, yeah. you know, but make sure it's the right fit. You know, yeah. I think, I know like when I, when I got into the business, I joined a, a brokerage that, you know, I immediately regretted joining <laughs> and it's because I didn't do my due, done my due yeah. diligence and I'd have a lot different questions now, but I didn't know, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And so well, what um, would you ask? Um, I think that's, you know, I, number one, I'd probably ask, you know, what is the support structure for a new agent? You mm-hmm. know, like what is, if I'm going into new brokerage, like what type of you know um, culture am I coming into? What type of opportunity am I going to have for education? What type of opportunity am I going to have for collaboration? You know, it's not about what split am I getting. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously finances are a part of everything, but it would be you know, is this a place where I can come in in ten years from now or five years from now, whatever it is, still feel like I'm getting this value from yeah. that place, right? And I, I think it's important, I, and I do think who you're with matters in some regard. I mean, oh, I really yeah. do. I do think that, you know, agents can be with different brokerages and they can be successful at a multitude of different places. But I do think having um, the backing of a successful company mm-hmm. that again has the resources in place to support you, um, you know, has skins on the wall, you know, for lack yeah. of a better way to put it. I think um, the other agents make a difference too. Absolutely. In life, peer group matters so much. Absolutely, and I, that's one of the things when I so when I I ultimately joined, you know, after leaving this brokerage initially, went to a larger, uh-huh. you know, more kind of respectable name yeah. firm here, and that's the first thing I noticed immediately is just being around the agents. I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm learning so much that I never got where I was. Yeah, you know, and it's and 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 they invite you into that, you know, right. where I was the first time go around, it was just kind of everybody's kind of on their own, unless you knew somebody, you know, unless you'd been there and known somebody, but they didn't really foster an environment to bring people in and educate them and nurture them. And, um, I think, you know, there's a plenty of, I think we do that. I think there's plenty of other brokerages that do as well. Um, but I, I, I think that's really as a new agent, you know, just 
making that determination of do I, you know, do I want to have an opportunity to really grow and provide value to a team as well and learn from educated people and, and mm-hmm. pick that up? Or am I going to, am I going to go out on my own, you know, hopefully with yeah. the support of the brokerage and, that works and, for it, some people. and it works for some people too. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I want to thank you for your time today. Well, I appreciate and joining being here. me. I know I'm not the only agent that wants a piece of your time and to talk to you. Well, I appreciate but I'm it. I'm sure our audience appreciates it. Yeah. And I want to wish you a prosperous 2023. Have you been thinking about moving to North Texas? Maybe you're looking in Plano, Dallas, Frisco, or the surrounding communities. Each year, our team helps dozens of families make the move to Texas. We'd love to help you begin your journey. Learn more on our website at HastingsRE.com. That's H-A-I-S-T-I-N-G-S-R-E.com.